0: Business Executives for National Security welcomes you to Building the Base. Here, thought leaders and practitioners discuss how we can ensure our shared security and prosperity through shaping the future of the National Security Industrial Base. Your hosts are Silicon Valley defense expert, Lauren Badula, along with Ben's distinguished fellow and former head of acquisition for the Navy, Marines, and special operators, Hondo Gertz.
1: Welcome back to Building the Base. Lauren Bedula and Hondo Gertz here with today's guest, Karen Dayhut, the CEO of Google Public Sector. Karen has had an incredible career in the defense industrial base, uh, serving as the head of Booz Allen Hamilton's global defense business prior to coming for the launch of Google's public sector business. And prior to that, even served in the, the Navy. So, Karen, thanks so much for joining us today. We're excited to dig into your story.
2: Thank you, Lauren. It's great to be here. Thank you, Hondo, as well.
0: Well, it's it's good to see you here, and we, we usually start these off with just a, uh, you know, letting listeners know where folks come from, and uh, as Lauren said, you got one of these really interesting backgrounds, starting with service to the country, and how did you get into that, and uh, what brought you all the way here to, to Google now?
2: Well, I appreciate that question, and um, it really starts with my parents. Honestly, uh, my parents are both Italian immigrants. They came to this country to make a difference um, to their lives and the lives of their children. Uh, They met, got married at a very young age, and my dad enlisted in the Navy. And he spent a 42-year career in the Navy, going from E1 to E7, obviously senior chief, and then 01 and retired as an 06 where he took command as his last duty station, a field medical service school, which is where Marines uh, and uh, corpsmen train together. And he was a Navy corpsman when he was enlisted. So it's this really beautiful, full circle of life. And, you know, I learned from my parents and both of them. It's super important to say my dad's direct service to his country, but my mom's service of traveling the globe, not really um, knowing a whole lot about what it meant. Um, I was born in Taiwan. Um, often an interesting question I have to ask when I go to renew my security clearance. Um, uh, we lived in Europe for a very long period of time and um, we you know, grew up mostly on the East coast of, of the United States. Um, I'm the youngest of three girls, which makes me my father's son. (laughs) And so I was the kid that uh, went hunting with him and fishing with him and did all of the boy things because my mom had said, three's it, she's going to be your, your son. So not surprisingly, when I was in college, um, I was in college in the early 80s, which makes me old, and um, all of my friends were going into banking, um, and I was a finance and a computer science major, and they were going into banking, and it sounded terribly boring to me, so I called my dad in April of 1985, and I said, you know, Dad, I think I want to join the Navy, and he's like, let me get this right, you're telling me this in your senior year of college, you know, we could have probably maybe gotten some of this paid for. But I joined the Navy and um, it wasn't by accident. Um, My parents taught me the importance of service to our country. They taught me how important this country was to them as immigrants and their families and they taught me that doing for others was sometimes more important than doing for yourself. And so um, You know, that's really what got me into defense and sort of I've just pivoted my career for 30 years now um, off of that one idea of service. Um, I've had the great opportunity to work. Across a broad spectrum of companies. I was in the Navy. I only spent about eight years in the United States Navy. I resigned my commission. I went to work for an FFRDC after that. um, And then I joined Booz Allen, Lauren, as you mentioned, and grew a 20-year career there leading their defense business um, as I left and then joined Google. I don't think any of that was accidental because I have always been... Yearning for the ability to make a difference to mission. I saw it up close and personal uh, when I was in the Navy. I was stationed at Camp Lejeune, which is a Marine Corps base, and um it's where SEAL Team 6 um trains. And so I I met many of them, spent a lot of time with them, but more importantly, I learned I mean, what it means to really serve in a big and bold way. I never had that opportunity, but I saw it through them. Um, So I joined an FFRDC after my service in the Navy, thinking that maybe policy was a way to affect mission. What I quickly found is it's not, at least for me, it was not appealing or appetizing. Uh, from there, I joined a large, well-renowned integrator, Booz Allen, um, had an incredible career and opportunity to do so much around innovation and technology and mission. Um, the one thing that I found is that I was always integrating somebody else's technology and not building it myself which led me to Google. This opportunity is so expansive um, and the ability to bring the world's greatest technology company and their technologies to bear on the mission is just something that excites me every day.
1: What an incredible story and thanks for sharing it, Karen. You've had the chance to watch both defense priorities evolve over the past several decades and the, the defense industrial base as well alongside that. And I think we're at a very pivotal pivotal time right now with regards to the industrial base and, and you're taking charge in an important way. And you mentioned technology, innovation and mission. And I know that's really key to what you're doing here at Google. Um, I want to dial it back, though, and talk a little bit about how you've seen the industrial base change and what you think is so critical today to meet the evolving threat landscape.
2: Yeah, it's such a good and important question. Um, I'll start with, I think part of the challenge we have today in our country, politics notwithstanding, is that the average American citizen doesn't really understand the role of government. And the role of government is in creating security and defense of our country. Um, And I always go back to, I had the opportunity to campaign uh, uh, during a presidential campaign, campaign for a candidate, private time, obviously. And I was going door to door, um, as you do, talking to Americans about their concerns. Nobody talks about China. Nobody talks about Russia. war in ukraine they talk about their own safety their own security the safety of their family members and i'll never forget i had this one very elderly gentleman answer the door very politely and he said to me i know why you're here um i i do know how i'm going to get to the polls on election day and i do know who i'm going to vote for but he said i have a question for you my question is how is your person going to make a difference in my life because i've lived here for 40 years and it was not a nice area it wasn't a you know highly economically desirable area and he said i've lived here for you know my entire life and regardless of who's in the white house it hasn't made a difference for me and so i share all of that because i think that we have a responsibility government leaders, industry leaders, to tell the story of why the Department of Defense is so critically important to individuals, to communities, to our country. And I, I think we've gotten away from that. Um, uh, former CNO Mike Mullen uh, is a dear friend and mentor. And I remember he said something to me Back many years ago, and it stuck with me. He really was not in favor of base realignment and closure when it first came um, up as an opportunity to cut costs across the department because he thought it was so critically important that Americans see servicemen and women in the grocery store, in their church pews, you know, walking the streets at the baseball fields, and that the more bases we eliminated from middle America the less people would understand and I I actually think he's right and I think that has come to fruition so now to your real question Lauren (laughs) around the defense industrial base I, I think that I say all of that about where we are as Americans because I think we've lost this sense of service and sense of mission and real devotion to our country and I think the industrial base can really help with that there are ways Ways to serve that are not purely, you know, raising your right hand and, you know, committing to defend the Constitution of the United States. You can serve in a lot of different ways in government service, of course, but also in large OEMs, large integrators, large technology companies, small businesses, small innovation companies. And we need all of that. I think what has changed around the defense industrial base is that as the systems we are using, um, whether it's weapon systems or financial systems, have become more complicated. The need for greater integration and greater technical program management is even more significantly important. And I think the role of government has changed, I think the role of industry has changed, and we have not elevated the conversation to talk yet about how do we integrate all of these capabilities. Um, One of the things that I am really trying to push forward on with Google is what Google brings to the table is really extraordinary technology. We're not a services company. We want to work with our partners that really know services, know how to deliver services, know how to deliver integration services. We want to work with small businesses and small innovation companies that maybe they bring a unique you know, technology to bear. So how can we help drive that integration by demanding that we don't be the integrator? And I think that is, um, a super important uh, point for, for the defense industrial base and how we continue to work together.
0: Yeah. I'm, you know, I, I couldn't agree with you more of the danger of a population getting separated from its military and, and being viewed as, as two separate entities. And, and, um, I also like your thinking on this, um, how do we bring the industrial, we call it network together. And, and you've seen it from many sides. As you're thinking about small, innovative companies, there's a little bit of thought sometimes in the DOD, the only innovative people can be a small business. So if we give lots of money to lots of small businesses, we'll get innovation. Um, I think there's some challenges with that. What's your sense of it, kind of from your perch here at, at Google, and and how – are you thinking about how to take advantage of those small businesses which may have ideas but not scale?
2: It's the scale yep. question. I mean, um, I had the great pleasure of working very closely with General Mike Murray when he was standing up Army Futures Command. And um, what I shared with him is what I'll share here today is that innovation is a mindset mindset. It's not that you do it or you don't do it, but you create a culture where it is embraced. And this ability to um, shoot for the moon and fail, this ability to empower the lowest level of individual. And so companies either have a culture that embraces innovation or they don't. I mean, I think Google is a good example of a company that has embraced innovation for its 25-year history, but there are certainly fantastic small companies that that do the same. And so the challenge is not to say what companies are or are not innovative, but how do you create an ecosystem where you can bring the best thinking together to build programmatically that can reach scale? Um, A small you know, technology company in Silicon Valley that has a really great idea or really technology is not going to be able to support the scale of the United States Navy, but working with a Google and a great integrator and maybe, you know, a great technical program manager from the government together, they can create those programs that really make a difference. And I think we too often think about it's either A or B rather than saying it's A and B.
1: Something that's coming through very clearly, Karen, is your view on the importance of partnerships, which is great to hear. And I think important as we see this evolution in the industrial base and maybe not always as natural in the industrial base. I want to hit on something that comes up quite often on our show, um, which is several years ago, Google employees voiced concern about supporting the national security community and related efforts. And a lot has changed since then, both in our world and at Google. Can you talk a little bit about the organization you're leading and the shift Google has made since then?
2: Thanks, Lauren. I appreciate the question on Project Maven, which um, I know um, I spend a lot of time telling this story, really, without even being prompted, because I think it's important for people to understand um, our own journey uh, around support um, to the mission. So Google has been supporting the mission of the Department of Defense since 2008. Um, we're only 25 years old. Actually, this month, actually two days ago, we turned 25. So, so half of the lifetime of the company. Um, and I would answer your question in a number of different ways, but I'll start here. Innovation um, is our culture, and I think most would argue that Google is one of the world's most innovative companies, and that's not accidental. Um, It comes by creating this empowerment that I talked about earlier. And so we've empowered the most junior employee to have an opinion on our technology, on how we um, lead in technology and how we deliver it and what we're delivering. So it shouldn't come as any surprise that they speak up and they have an opinion. In fact, one of the hallmarks of Google's culture is TGIF, which every Friday in the early days, our CEO at the time would stand up before all of its employees and answer questions. And they were very pointed and targeted questions. So um, what happened specifically with Maven is we agreed – as a company, to do really important work for the department. And it's work we would continue to do today were we asked to do that. Our opportunity where we failed, I would say, is that we were not as transparent with this incredibly empowered population about our decision, why we made that decision. And what we learned from that is that It's not the decision to do that work. This was AI work for the Department of Defense. It was the fact that we didn't really um, share that openly with the team. And I think there was some concern about what would the reaction be. So... Fast forward a few years from the Maven experience when Google decided to stand up Google public sector to specifically serve the Department of Defense, the intelligence community, state and local governments, et cetera, we were incredibly open about this. We are standing up a separate LLC under the Google umbrella. It's going to be called Google Public Sector. We are bringing a board um, uh, on board to govern our business. That board is chaired by General Dave Goldfein, the former Chief of Staff of the Air Force. And this is the kind of work we intend to do. And by the way, we will apply AI principles to any work that we choose to do around AI. And that will be governed by GPS. There has been crickets from Googlers as a result of that complete transparency that we um, the way we handled the stand up of GPS. So I think we learned a lot as a company. Um, our people are equally still as empowered as ever. Um, they have strong opinions. And I think it's what makes us better.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, in, in hearing that, uh, obviously, it's, it's, it's great to hear you looking at it retrospectively and 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 how you learn from that. And, again, a power of our democracy is we don't force people to do things. They, you know, they have a choice. They should know the choices they're making, and, and uh, I think that's a really powerful lesson. As you're now looking to stand up GPS and you're getting, you know, you guys are putting a great team together, what's your view on uh, bringing in new talent? Are you seeing there's still – I think some sense that young people don't want to work in national security. I'm sensing that changing pretty significantly. Probably Ukraine's helped that. What are you seeing kind of at the ground level in terms of folks wanting to come, you know, especially from areas that may not have been so naturally involved in national security?
2: I think that there is still a strong sense of, wanting to serve in meaningful ways and you have to make it real for for people Um, you know uh, when we chose to support um the ukrainians in terms of our own technology providing maps technology to allow people to find escape routes from the country the air um, raid alerts that we created to support the ukrainian people From across Google, people came out of the woodwork wanting to support those important missions um, and to support the people of Ukraine. So I do think there is a strong sense of service and mission, and what I see for Google public sector is it's the perfect place to be at the intersection of mission and technology because there are Brilliant people that have spent a lifetime in the Army or the Air Force or in government service or, you know, in Colorado state government that understand those missions really closely and have worked in technology that want to find another way to serve. And I think we are creating a team that really has that intersection in its heart mission and technology. And I, I honestly believe. That when you talk to people um, about what we're trying to do and the difference we're trying to make they get it they understand it and they're like yes I want to be in and so I'm super excited about um, being able to recruit that talent I also think that if you look at the amount of capital that's being invested into um, the defense industrial base, meaning small startups that are starting, as well as, you know, in the intelligence community and supporting the intelligence community. Since DIU was started under Ash Carter to even just last year, the amount of capital be invested, being invested has, has been quadruple what was originally being invested in this area. And so I think that's another great example. You don't have to serve in the military or in the government, but you can start a great company that is you know, building incredible mission technologies that is going to make a difference for the world.
1: I want to footstep your point about transparency, because I think it has been such an important enabler to drive talent and partnerships and um, to allow for that shift that you've, you've talked about. And, and you've also talked about the importance of creating that culture and a mindset to enable innovation and, and leverage technology. Can you talk about where DOD is getting that right today? You mentioned DIU, but uh, any other examples that come to mind?
2: Yeah, and I go back to my days of working with General Murray at Army Futures Command. It's really hard. I mean, you know, culture is, you know, the, long, the, the great saying of culture eats strategy for lunch um, every day. And I think that's super, super true and, and uh, really hard to change. Um, so I think there are areas where the department is getting it right. Um, w- the national defense strategy, I think, for example, the sense of urgency around great power competition. That's right. Now Back to my earlier comments, we need to find a way to take that message to the American people so that they understand stand it in digestible chunks. Increasingly, the threat is not kinetic. It's non-kinetic. It's cyber. People don't really understand that. How do we make sense of that? So I do think focusing there is important and being a way, finding a way to communicate that to the American people so that they really support and understand it so that when we go to look at the defense budget, people understand it and see the difference we're making Um, I think um, DIU you mentioned Lauren and I go back there I think Doug Beck I'm super excited about Doug and taking that role I'm excited that they moved it up again to the secretary level and working directly for the secretary and focusing on scaling innovation not small projects that have discrete starts and stops but really scaling those innovation and those technologies to make a difference I think that's that's a great Example. I think under Deputy Secretary Hicks, there's been a great empowerment of the COCOMs, which I think is desperately needed. At the end of the day, that's where we're going to, if we have to go to war, God forbid that's where we're going to fight and they need to be empowered to bring in the right technology and get the right data and have access to the right situational awareness. So that empowerment is, is super true. And of course, lastly um, CDAO and the focus on AI, you knew that, I'm with Google. I'm going to have to talk about AI at least one time. Um, You know, I think it is the most transformative technology. Sundar has said this, um, that we're working on, but I think it's also the most transformative technology for the department. Um, We have to be careful. We have to be responsible, thoughtful about how we deploy that technology. But it is capable of doing amazing things. Um, I'll just give you an example without talking about a Department of Defense example. Um, there is a company in Asia that has developed a dating app using AI. And what it allows you to do, if you're a young person, an old person that's interested in finding a mate, you can go onto this app and you can send yourself and another person's AI out on a date together, that person comes back and reports thumbs up, thumbs down, that person was a loser or that person was great. Wow. And so, you know, this is the power of AI. That's incredibly capable of being being accomplished. And so, you know, think about what we could do with that so that we're not putting men and women, you know, uh, uh, in harm's way, but we're really using AI in a more powerful way to support rather than necessarily just, um, uh, you know, augment what can be done.
0: Thank goodness that app didn't exist when I found my heat. My, I might still be here uh, using that. Um, yeah, but you do mention, you know, you talk globally, and Google is a global country uh, company, and one of a, an enduring strength of a democracy is the ability to work with and attract partners. How, is, how are you sensing the DOD's ability to work across this, What what's your kind of view of how to better enable uh, working with partners and allies as well as integrating technologies that they may develop into products that are useful to, for the joint and coalition force?
2: I love that question. And of course it's data, data, data. And um, I think where we get into challenges with, you know, allies and partners is um, sharing of systems and sharing of data. Um, where I think Google is super differentiated in this space is when we start talking about um, cloud services and cloud capabilities, we define that by um, logical separation, not physical separation, and what that means is services can be available where and when we want them to be available without needing a physical instantiation of a data center. So I think um, the way that we work with allies and partners is to be much more open in sharing of data and capability, but protecting it in the new and creative ways where we can protect it. You can't have complete lockdown of data and systems and openness with allies and partners. You need to meet somewhere in the middle. And I think there, not just Google, but there are capabilities and technologies that are really enabling this incredibly powerful opportunity to share capabilities that will make us just a better, a, a better operating force, if you will.
1: I want to go back to your story, Karen. and You talked about your dad as such a powerful influence on your career path. Um, mentors have a way of doing that. And, and we often like to ask our guests if, if you've had any mentors that had shaped who you've become today or um, as you're here setting an example for so many others uh, trying to follow in your footsteps. Well, thank you. And
2: I've had uh, innumerable um Mentors, too many to count. Um, And I was a pain in the ass, if I'm being very honest. Um, uh, As I mentioned, you know, a real Italian through and through, uh, strong opinions, um, often wrong. And so I needed people around me um, to really um, help teach me. And so when I think about that question, while I've had many, there were two that stand out um, in remarkable ways to me. Uh, One who's no longer with us, um, but um, he was the consummate businessman. And what he said to me is, Karen, you're always being asked a business question. Don't think you're not being asked a business question understand what business question you are being asked and then go sort out the appropriate answer. And that has served me so well because you know how it is. You're in meetings and you're just, somebody asks you a question and you kind of answer off the wall without really understanding the question that's being asked. So that has served me well not to be quick to answer really think about what am I being asked and to make sure I'm being you know, advised by the smartest people um, to answer the question. So that was sort of the business side. On the, um, uh, the more personal side, I had, had and continue to have uh, an important mentor to me who never offered me um, what I would call ruinous empathy. Meaning, oh, Karen, I know you're a new mom. You've got two young kids at home and you don't have to take this on. You know, you don't have to do this. And I think a lot of women get trapped in this idea of ruinous empathy. I think people really think they're giving you good advice, but what they're really doing is derailing your career. And so he was super hard on me in a good way by saying, look, you have a personal life. I understand you're married. I understand you have two young kids, but you've got this job and I need you to do these things. You need to figure out how to prioritize. I'm not going to tell you how to prioritize, but this is what I need you to get done. And I just feel like while he was always there to guide me and course correct me, not allowing me to take a pass really helped accelerate my career. Now, I want to be really careful with this conversation because I think, you know, a lot of women will hear that as a really harsh reality. I'm not saying that at all. I think women have to be in control of their careers, and we may incredibly rightfully choose to take off ramps and go, you know, spend time with family, maybe take a half roll or, you know, take time away. And I applaud that. And women need to be empowered to do that. But make it your decision. Don't allow somebody to give you advice that means you're taking yourself out of the game without you really realizing you're taking yourself out of the game. And so his um, directness with me, his not offering me ruinous empathy. Um, I think made a difference to me it allowed me to make decisions for my own career and where I wanted to go and what I wanted to be and so I, I really always applaud him for that and he's still he's still with me today <laughs>
1: Well, I, I have to say that's particularly helpful advice to for me, and I've never heard it before. I'm eight weeks into motherhood here, so I'm scribbling all of this down and, and really appreciate it, Karen. And maybe I'll ask you a follow-up, too, for our listeners, uh, how you think about managing personal and professional goals and balancing stress um, so that you can keep up.
2: Yeah, I, I've always been super transparent on this point. I have four priorities in my life Uh, and I tell everybody this I love my job I have always loved my job regardless of where I've worked I love being in this world and in this community and doing what I do I love my family it is my number one priority I've never made any bones about it I try to take care of myself we talked about running earlier and you know sort of what that does but taking care of myself and I really care about my community and at any given point in time in my life, family has been a higher priority than maybe you know other things, and I've had to take either an off ramp or I've had to, you know, do something. I did have to take an off ramp once, um, um, and it didn't harm me because I was super transparent about it. Um, uh, and I think that women. Um, sometimes, and I hope you're not doing this, Lauren, rely on others to prioritize for you. And I really encourage you to think about what it is you need today. It doesn't mean it's what you need for the next 20 years, but it's what you need today to take care of your eight-week-old uh, and to really, you know, be present. And that may be different, you know, six months from now or nine months from now. So I think my advice is always be very clear on what your priorities are. Um, evaluate them on a regular basis to make sure they still make sense for you, and um, make sure you're enjoying what you're doing.
0: Yeah, I, I um, you know, own your decision. Yes. Right, own your decision is is uh, is critical. Whatever that is, and and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pivot a little bit though to you know one of the strengths, in, and we've worked together. Uh, for years and years, and I've always found your ability to network in a positive way to set you apart from many others. And um, and so w- what's your perspective on that? Maybe either from a business side or a personal side of, you know, sometimes network is viewed as a uh, you know trying to smooze people and all that. and and I always found you know, you're a very authentic in those uh, relationships. What, what advice would you give to folks either if they're just coming up or maybe they're more senior of the power of creating a great network?
2: It is um, probably the one of the most important things you can do as a professional um, to accelerate and build your career, but also most importantly to learn. Um, I I am where I am today, not because of my talent or capabilities. And I am, this is not modesty. This is absolute candor. I am where I am today because of the people that have surrounded me throughout my career. And some of those have come through relationships that I've had for 40 years. Some are new people that I've met along the way. And I think that you can learn from everybody, always being open to learning from others is um, critically important and critically important to being able to accomplish our jobs. I will tell you one of the most interesting things to me about the transition from Booz Allen to Google is how little I knew about the technology company world. Um, I thought I knew a lot. I'm here to tell you, I didn't know a lot and I have taken the opportunity to really learn from the people here at Google and Google Public Sector, but more broadly in the technology uh, community, and they've really embraced me and and taught me a lot. So this idea of having a great network, it, it, it is so critical to continuing to grow your professional career.
0: Yeah, I see many senior leaders think as they get senior, they have to learn less. And I found it's exactly the opposite.
2: One hundred percent agree.
0: How, how do you have a tool? You what's your tool to force yourself not to get comfortable?
2: Well, I've you know the good thing is I've never held a job for longer than about three years. Um, every um, even while I was at Booz Allen, I rotated career jobs every three years. So I think that really helps, right? Where you are being forced to learn something new, um, that's great. Um, secondly there are always people more expert in the thing you're dealing with than you and go seek those people out and ask questions um really seek knowledge and ask questions and i'm a voracious reader i love reading listening to podcasts like this one uh as well as listening to books on tape etc so i think that's another way I, i think bottom line hondo it's just keep learning
1: well, Karen, you've made so many great points, a few that stand out to me. I love this idea of culture eats strategy for lunch every day. I actually hadn't heard that, and I think it's a great point, point. Um, and how transparency and partnerships are really key to get us to where we need to be in terms of our industrial base. Uh, thank you for coming on our show and sharing your story and, and your advice with our listeners. This was a, a great discussion.
2: Thank you all so much. It's my pleasure. You've been listening to Building the Base, a podcast from the Business Executives for National Security. Join hundreds of senior leaders and executives dedicated to the mission of keeping our nation safe. Check out our projects we're currently working with, important upcoming events, and the many ways you can get involved at www.bens.org.